Well, good morning. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. I'm John, one of the pastors here at North Park. Really glad to be talking with you. So for those of you that have been praying, I appreciate that. And if you don't know, I had some uh, neck surgery back uh, in November. And to do that, they go in through the front there and they had to push my vocal cords aside. And so I wasn't expecting it to uh, have the effect for as long as it did, but it made it where it was. Uh, my voice was very weak. So I tried it, gave it a go a couple of weeks and then uh, decided to wait until it came back. So skipped an opportunity to preach there in December, but very glad to be here speaking to you the first week in January. So glad that you could be here with us. We're in the middle of a foundations series. It's a study through the Bible, and this is actually uh, week 17 or sermon 17 uh, from that series. Um, a part of it is preaching. Uh, we're doing sermons that come from reading throughout the week as well, though. And that individual reading, the habit that you have of reading God's Word personally and letting God speak to you through His Word is equally as important or maybe even more important if we were able to prioritize those. So um, if you haven't been a part of that or if you've been working at it and kind of have been through the holidays not keeping up with it, I encourage you again to get started with that reading plan. We have some books that are age-appropriate uh, for uh, little kids and teenagers and adults that can help you with that. And we'll talk more about that here, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks as we kind of ramp things up and get going again. And then just uh, lastly, before we get started, uh, we're going to be taking communion here after the message today. And so for those of you that are at home, uh, if you weren't able to stop by and pick up some of the communion uh, elements, then we just encourage you to use some bread or crackers or some grape juice you might have at home. And uh, go ahead and make sure you have that there so you'll be ready when we get to that part of the service. Um, today, uh, we're talking about kings and kingdoms, which we started last week uh, with Larry. And today we're going to be talking about the giant and Goliath. A little different than what we normally uh, think about as it relates to this story. But uh, you guys ever go to the gas station where you uh, think you're ready to go, pump your gas, and nothing happens? You're in a hurry. You get frustrated. And then you realize it's one of these prepay gas stations. You have to go inside and pay first. You can't do it at the pump. That's what happened to uh, one particular lady. And she was in a hurry. She was kind of frustrated, thinking, what kind of place is this? So she went inside, paid with her card, and prepaid, and then went out to pump her gas, and then... Nothing happened. So she's thinking, what kind of people are running this place? It's not a very uh, good self-serve gas station here. And so she went back inside, and she kind of was ready to give her, the attendant there a piece of her mind. And the attendant just kind of talked over her and basically said, I had to turn your pump off. Just stay where you are. Don't go back to your car. And what had happened was, when she had come in to pay, a man had slipped into her back seat. And the only way the, the attendant could get her attention and to get her not to go back to her car or to stay out there was to turn the gas pump off. And it turned out the man was a member of a gang and he was doing uh, part of his initiation. And he was planning to uh, steal the car with her in it and then take her and murder her. And so something that was very frustrating and she didn't understand and she didn't know why this wasn't uh, a very good place for service was actually something that was very good. But she couldn't understand that at the time. You guys feel that way a little bit, maybe, about 2020? Everybody seems to want to get 2020 behind us. Not just uh, COVID and all of the things that have come along with the pandemic, but maybe there's a little bit of that with each year. But it just seems like maybe this year there's been lots of other things. Maybe personally or relationship-wise with uh, politics in our country and certainly with the pandemic. But maybe you're feeling like, I hope that there's something good that's going to come out of these things. 
I'm a little frustrated or there's some things that have really been hard and difficult. And I hope that God's going to do something good and I'll be able to see what it is. So as we finish one year and start another, this morning maybe we're feeling like, I hope that whatever troubles I'm dealing with now or whatever new things that might come my way, I hope that there's going to be something good in it. And maybe I'll be able to see that. I really believe that as we turn to this familiar story of David and Goliath today, we're going to see that we have a God who is our champion. And no matter what we're going through, he's on our side, and he's got our back, and he's able to accomplish what we are not able to accomplish on our own. And I just believe with the number of people that we have here, a smaller group in the auditorium and those who are going to be listening online, that there's somebody here who just needs to hear that message this morning, that we have a God who is our champion, who has our back, and who can accomplish what we cannot do on our own. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're not familiar with your Bible, here's a table of contents, and we're just a few books in. We finished the first five books, uh, which is the law, uh, five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and we're in 1 Samuel, which is one of the history books. We're going to start verse 17. Larry last week talked about how uh, Saul was rejected, and our video brought us up to that point as well, that Saul has been rejected as the king of Israel, and so we're wondering who's going to be the replacement. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched their camp at Ephnis Damim between Soko and Azekah, and I have no idea if I said those right. We'll just pretend that it was like cities here in Grand Rapids. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Today, as we continue our story, we're going to have three different scenes. We're going to look at an unexpected choice, and then we're going to see an unexpected champion. And then lastly, we'll see an unexpected covenant. So we start to look at an unexpected choice. Saul has been rejected, but his reign didn't end immediately. And so the question is, who is going to be the next king? Kings normally make their own laws. Their word is law. In fact, a lot of times if the king did something that broke the law, then they changed the law so that the king was right. Israel's king was different, though. Israel's king was to be under God's law. And Saul is rejected because he's not following God's law. He's not been obedient. And Larry walked us through an episode last week where we looked at a very specific disobedience on his part. We turn back just to the previous chapter, chapter 16 and verse 1, when Saul was rejected, Samuel, who was the prophet of God at the time, was very depressed about that. He had great hopes for Saul and the nation of Israel. And so, verse 1, the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, there still was a king, so this was kind of a secret mission. And Samuel was to go. He was going to go to town there and offer a sacrifice for the town. And he would invite Jesse and his family. And then God was going to show him who would be the next king. So all went according to plan. And in walked the oldest son. And 
Samuel was sure that was the one. And God said, no, that's not him. The second son, no. The third son, no. Sons four through seven. And then Samuel asked an odd question. Do you have any other kids? And Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got a younger one who's out in the field just with the sheep right now. And Samuel says, well, wait, let's sit down. So they wait for David. And David does come in and he arrives. Verse 12, it's interesting. This is what we learn about David. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel did anoint him. And the Spirit of God came upon David in a very unique way. Now, what was unique about David? That he would be chosen the king. Remember, Saul was chosen because the people wanted a king who could fight for them like other uh, nations did. He was taller than everybody else. So here's David. I like the New Living Translation. It says this when it describes uh, uh, David. It says he's dark, handsome, and has beautiful eyes. That was like a Hallmark Christmas movie I think I saw, right? What kind of a description is that, right? They're going to get a king, and this is the description that we get of David, the youngest teenager, probably 13 or 14 at the time, who walks in. And the description that we get is he's dark, handsome, and has beautiful eyes. You see, it isn't that God can't use the beautiful people, the strong people. It's just that he doesn't really have to. He can use all people, those who are the beautiful and those maybe like a few of us who aren't, all right? The smart, the wealthy, what society would say are the people who are the movers and shakers. It's not that God can't use them. It's that he doesn't have to. And that outward appearance doesn't matter to him. What does matter is the heart. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, here's what's said about this account. After removing Saul, God made David their king, and God testified concerning, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, because he will do everything that I want him to do. So it's not that the outward appearance determines whether you can be used by God or not. That's irrelevant. It's simply that God is looking at everyone and looking at our hearts. And what he's looking for is a heart, not that's perfect but a heart that desires to do his will, to follow his law. And especially now for a king, because the king of Israel is not the king. He is a king who is under the king. And he must have a heart and a desire to do God's law. So if you look at Saul, big, strong, handsome, but he had a bad heart. And so God rejected him. David, dark, handsome, Beautiful eyes. I don't know. When I read that, it just seems like there should be a picture of a dreamy guy, you know. All right, I'll move on. Dark, handsome, and beautiful, but he has a good heart. And so God accepts him. So back in the middle of that, uh, Samuel looking at the sons, there's a statement that we're probably familiar with if you've been in church much. Chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. That's our natural bent. We judge people by how they look. We determine whether we think they can do anything significant by the outward appearance. This is not so with God. But the Lord looks at the heart. Can I just ask you this morning, where do you find your identity? Is it on your outward appearance? Is it on what people can see on the outside? Or is it on the inside? 
where God is looking and is looking for a heart that follows after his. On what basis do you judge other people? Do you judge them on their outward appearance? Or do you look for the characteristics of a good heart the way that God does? And I'll use the term real life, but what I mean by that is real life or social media, real life being face-to-face, the way we interact personally. But then there's this whole other world now that's a part of our life of social media. And on social media, we can pretend to be who we think people want us to be. We can judge other people's lives by simply what we're seeing on the outside. And none of it may be true. But we might determine our identity and our value and our success all based on what people are looking at on the outward appearance. And we can judge other people that way. God says there's an important principle here that he doesn't judge on the outward appearance, but he judges the heart. And we have to fight our natural tendency to judge ourselves and to judge other people by our outward appearance, but to have a good heart. And that goes for the schoolhouse, the church house, the White House, and your house. Learning to see people the way God does. Not judging by externals and outward appearance, but looking at the heart. I think it really comes down to this. Do we believe that God's law, God's will, when followed and obeyed, will bring true freedom? Look at Psalm 119, verse 45, which may have been written by David. There he says, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. See, in our mind, to follow rules and to be under someone's authority, that's not freedom. Freedom is to be able to do what I want to do. But this king of Israel, and in our lives too, true freedom is going to be found in putting ourselves underneath God's authority. And in walking in his commandments. David was that kind of a person. And Saul was not. That leads us to the second scene, if you will. We've got an unexpected choice. When David's chosen, he's 13 to 14 years old. He's been out just watching the sheep. And he's chosen to be the next king. But he's not installed immediately. So now we go back to chapter 17. Verse 3 says, we've got this scene here where there's a war and there's this valley and there's this nation of the Philistines who are opposing the Israelites. And you have the nation of Israel on the other side. And every morning they line up for battle there. Verse 4 tells us there's a champion named Goliath. Goliath is undefeated. He has the championship belt. And look how we describe this champion. He's from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. We think that's at least nine foot tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. We think that's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, which for you soccer players, those are just like shin guards, but better. He had a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels, which you think is about 15 to 25 pounds. The whole point of this is this is one big soldier. He's a warrior. He's a veteran of many battles, probably forming a wall and him being able to stand behind it even just stab the other soldiers that are fighting against him. The weights described for somebody who is just 
humongous. And he also has a shield bearer who goes before him. He is the champion, the undisputed champion, undefeated. And this Goliath, he stands and he shouts to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, The day I defy the armies of Israel, give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For forty days the Philistine came every morning and evening and took his stand. Now the people wanted a king who would lead them in battle. And Saul was chosen because he was taller than the rest of them. But Saul isn't stepping forward. He's scared and terrified just like the other Israelites. Forty days. How long is forty days? Forty days ago was November 23rd, I think it was. I looked on the calendar. So this is going all the way back to before Thanksgiving. And every morning he comes out and he says the same things, calling them out as chickens. Using the name of his gods to defy the God of Israel. Forty days this has been going on. And what he's offering is a contest of champions. You send your best and I'll come out and fight him. And whoever wins, then the other nation will surrender. So while this is going on, we've got David who has been anointed as king, but he's gone back to his family and his job. And all his brothers are out there at the battle. And so his dad says, hey, here's some food. I want you to take this to your brothers. Find out word. Make sure they're okay. And then come back and let me know how things are going. And so David heads out. He gets there and he arrives. He drops off some supplies and he starts talking. While he's talking, kind of hearing what's going on, the battle's lined up for army, or the army's lined up for battle, rather. And Goliath comes out and begins to say the same kinds of things. And David's caught off guard. He begins to ask questions like the pesky little brother that he is. And they're getting frustrated with him. Look at verse uh, 26. David asked the men standing near him. Remember, he's this little teenage boy who's a shepherd, and he's asking these soldiers, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now remember, Goliath said... It's the army of Israel. David says he's defying the army of the living God. See, David has showed up on the scene and he's got different eyes. He's seeing something different. And he's wanted to know what's going on. Why are people responding like this? See, Saul and the Israelites, they see Goliath. They see a giant who can defeat Israel. David sees a man who's defying his giant God. It's interesting that Because God has seen David differently. He didn't look at the outward appearance. He looked at his heart. It's interesting now that David looks at Goliath and doesn't look at the outward appearance. But looks at his heart. Which is defying the living God and dishonoring his God's name. So his brothers uh, are talking with him about this and word gets to Saul. So let's look at verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said... To Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Remember, you got this little teenage boy who shows up now and he goes, Hey, don't lose heart. It's okay. Don't get too discouraged. Don't quit. I'll go and fight him. 
And what do you think their response to that was? Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now remember the description we had of Goliath? Champion warrior, over nine feet tall, bronze helmet, bronze coat of scale armor, leg armor, bronze javelin, spear with an iron point, and a shield bearer. And here's the description we have of David so far. He was a shepherd. He's probably about 15 or 16 years old now. He has killed a lion and a bear. He's dark. He's handsome. He's got beautiful eyes. And he's not going to come with your traditional weapons of war. He's coming with a slingshot and five stones, which could be deadly. But compared to what Goliath has, when you look at this, here's the rendering of what it might have looked like but who's going to win that fight are there any questions about who's going to win that fight of course goliath is going to win it i tried to think about what would this be in our day how would we talk about that and i started thinking about the navy seals and here's a picture of a navy seal who was one of the finest trained soldiers that we have in our armed services and here's his helmet that he has he's got night vision goggles let me go back uh, one real quick there right he's got his uh, special gun he's got this fragmentation grenade that lists out specific things that it can do he's got his knife he's got special knee pads waterproof boots he's got all kinds of weapons right and uh i'm gonna ask dominic if he'll come up here dominic's about the age that uh, uh goliath was so Dominic's going to put his mask on and jump up here real quick. I want you to think. Be thinking. Real battle. Not playing around. Who has a better chance of women? Go ahead to the next picture. This Navy SEAL, or I present to you, Dominic. But wait, Dominic has a slingshot. And we'll even give him some steel balls that he can shoot. We don't have them for real right here. but All right? But what if I give him... Steel balls to shoot with a slingshot. Dominic versus this highly trained Navy SEAL. Who are you putting your money on? <laughs> right? I mean, that's really what's going on in all seriousness in a battle scene. All right, I'll take the slingshot just because it looks cool. But let's thank Dominic for helping us out. <clears throat> so when we think about this battle... Does it really help? Look at, I really think David is being serious, and we're learning some stuff here, but if I'm the guys just listening to him, if we go to the next uh, verse there, he really does say, but wait, I killed a lion when he came to attack the sheep, and I killed a bear. So now does Dominique have a better chance? If he tells us that in the backyard of his Northview home, he killed a lion and a bear, right? Does he still have any better chance against this Navy SEAL? With his slingshot, right? So David is telling us what he thinks. But notice his perspective. David sees the situation totally different and God has been preparing him. Look at the rest of the verse. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me. See, it wasn't me. It wasn't just me that killed a lion and a bear. That was God rescuing me in those dangerous situations. And he's going to do the same thing right now. I love Saul's response. Cool. Go. The Lord be with you. 
I kind of take that as when we say, oh, bless your heart, right? <laughs> David's going to go fight Goliath, bless your heart, right? <laughs> Chuck Swindoll uh, has written a book about David, and in it he says this. As I picture it, David was blinking and thinking, what giant? The only giant in my life is God. That's a dwarf over there, so. And that's really where I got my title from, The Giant and Goliath. His title of his chapter was David and the Dwarf. That's really how David saw this huge warrior compared to his God. So let's go back to our comparison. What's that God at the bottom? Now, who do you think is going to win that fight? And that makes all the difference. So they do go to battle. And they step forward and they try to get David some armor and put all the traditional stuff on. He says, that's not going to work. So he brought a slingshot and five stones. And in verse 50, uh, let's go ahead and go to the next one. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now he did go and cut Goliath's head off probably to make sure he was dead, but also as a sign of victory to try to instill confidence that God had done this. But with a slingshot and some stones, no sword, David does strike Goliath and kills him. We have an unexpected champion. When the battle began, there was no question which champion would win, and now we have an unexpected champion. You and I probably haven't fought any real giants or SEAL team members last year, and we're not going to this year. But I want you to think about the story. When we read the Bible, we read these stories. We say story. They're true accounts. They're historically true. We have to draw a principle out of it that will be applicable to our time. And the way we can do that is we put ourselves in the story. So I want you to think about this story. And simply answer this question. With whom do you most identify in the story? Which character is you? Which character is me? Any of you feel like you're Goliath? The Philistines, Saul and the Israelites, David. Most of the time we see ourselves as David. And that's how we teach it often in our youngest classes all the way up through our life groups and adult Bible studies. And there is a sense in which that can be true, but I don't think that's the main point of the story, especially as we're looking at the overarching story of the Bible as we read through it. And if we're not careful, we end up just taking these stories and coming away with a good moral or saying we need to be courageous like that. So that we can slay our giants. And really what it comes down to is we're just saying, hey, let's try harder. Let's do more on our own. And we're leaving God completely out of the picture. Louis Giglio in his book, Goliath Must Fall, says this. The big idea isn't about us trying harder or rolling up our sleeves and working to improve our lives through our effort. The message of this book is that God extends his grace and favor toward us to allow us to experience his supernatural power. It's about us agreeing with him and letting his Holy Spirit work in our lives to put us on right paths and right ways of thinking and living. 
We are not David in the story of David and Goliath. Jesus. Now, it's God initially, but when we read our New Testament, we realize that this is the type of Jesus. Jesus is David in the story of David and Goliath. He's the giant killer. Jesus fights the battles for us. Jesus stares down the face of impossible odds. Jesus takes up his sling. Jesus selects five stones. Jesus takes aim at the giant. The giant falls because of the work of Jesus. While we can and should take courage from the shepherd boy and walk in greater confidence in life, the whole of Scripture points not to our abilities, but to Jesus as the Savior of the world. On every page and every story, Jesus can be seen victorious, steadfast, able, trustworthy, mighty, loving, and worthy. So Israel's eyes were on Goliath, the giant warrior. David's eyes were on the giant God. And our eyes are to be on Jesus, our champion, who has done the work already. That has killed our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. Who became our representative. This was a representative battle. David steps in to represent the whole nation, to do for them what they could not do for themselves. Scared and terrified, unable to fight this giant. And yet David steps in, God steps in, and does for them what they cannot do for themselves. We flip ahead to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, we can see this pretty clearly. Our eyes are to be on Jesus, our giant champion. The author of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that allows us, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion the New Living says. New Living Translation. NIV says, Pioneer. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. We don't lose heart because we have a champion who has already fought the battle for us. Jesus is the champion who is undefeated. And he accomplished that as he died on the cross and not only suffered a horrible physical death, but he took our punishment. Unthinkable that God the Father couldn't even look at his own son and turned his back while Jesus took the punishment for our sin. And then buried, he rose from the dead, demonstrating that he had victory over sin and over death. And that's what he offers to us as well. It's a silly little thing, but sometimes it helps. If you just take your hand, I promise nobody behind, beside you is going to slap your hand and hit your face or anything like that, right? But here and at home, too, you can do this. Just hold up your hand in front of your face, and then I want you to do something for me. I want you to try to look at the people who are between your fingers there, right? When you're doing that, your fingers are blurry, right? Now I want you to look at your fingers. When you do that, all the people are blurry. That's just perspective, right? It's focus. As I went through this story, I couldn't help but see all the times that what you focus on seems so significant. And then when we got to Hebrews, it said, fix your eyes on 
Jesus. Focus on Jesus, and then you won't lose heart. That's what uh, Jesus said in John 16:33. He said, I told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So as Christians, we do have giants in our life. We struggle with addictions. We struggle with sin. We struggle with trials. We've got a lot of problems that seem gigantic to us. But we deal with them in a different way. It's not just stir up some courage and try to help yourself. It's now a life that's lived through Christ, who is all sufficient to help us with whatever giant we are dealing with. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's this unique cooperation now because we are in Christ. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this morning, there might be some of you who just need to stop trying so hard to do everything on your own and to overcome your issues and your problems and your sin or even trying to come to some salvation all in your own effort. And you need to just recognize we have a champion who's already killed the giant of sin and death. And we need to surrender our life to him. So we have an unexpected choice. We have an unexpected champion. And lastly, as we transition into communion, we have an unexpected covenant. David is an interesting guy because he was anointed as king and nobody really knew. Then he kills Goliath, and instantly he blows up. Now, for some of you older people who don't know the terminology, it didn't mean like it like blew up, right? He became popular. Everybody knew about him. But then Saul got jealous, and so Saul even tried to kill him. So David becomes a fugitive. Two different times David has a chance to kill Saul, and his people are right there going, hey, God did this. You should kill him. And David resists that temptation. When Saul and Jonathan finally die and pass off the scene, David does become king, but only of one tribe, Judah. There's another son that Saul has, and he is placed on the throne over 11 tribes. And still David doesn't go and take the throne. He waits for God's timing. Seven years later, that son is killed. And so finally, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people and you will become their ruler. Now these guys that he's talking to, they've all come to him now. But just last week, they were under this other son of Saul who were rebelling against David and were his enemies. And now they're coming to him and wanting to just become part of his kingdom. How would you respond to that? When you know you are the anointed one to become the king and you've had this opposition. David shows incredible maturity and probably lessons that he's learned during this waiting time. He says, when all the elders in verse 3 had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And then he was anointed king of Israel at age 30. David was going to be the king, and the king's word is law. He could do whatever he wanted. But David, even when he 
messed up, always came back to the fact that he was not the king. He was under another king. And instead of seeking revenge, he made a covenant with them. I'll do this and you do this. And it was a covenant of peace that they would not harm one another. And they were welcomed into the kingdom. I read it was just 20 miles north of there. Later, Jesus, when he went to the Last Supper, he instituted what we call communion now, but it was the Last Supper. He simply took a meal and he gave meaning and symbolism to it. And when we drink the cup, what is it that we remember? We remember a new covenant instituted not with animal sacrifices, but with the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at these verses in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and all mankind, not just between God and Israel, but between God and all mankind. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they had committed. We have an unexpected covenant in the life of David. But we also have an unexpected covenant for you and for me. That God would send his son Jesus to provide redemption. Not by offering sacrifices of animals, but by offering his own body and blood as a sacrifice on our behalf. Israel, as they were standing there listening to Goliath, they had simply forgotten. They had forgotten the Exodus. They had forgotten the plagues. They had forgotten the Red Sea. They had forgotten how God led them with pillars of fire and clouds. They had forgotten the manna, water that came from rocks. They had forgotten the Jordan River parting. They had forgotten how they marched around Jericho and the walls fell. They had forgotten miracle after miracle after miracle, except for David. And from our perspective, we look back and we have a champion in Jesus who not only died on the cross, but he rose from the dead, demonstrating his victory over sin and over death. And somehow, I forget that. And it may be that you forget that too. And God gave them things like the Passover meal and other festivals and different things to help them remember. But it's so easy to forget. So God gave us the Lord's Supper. And it's to simply help us remember that Jesus is our champion. Let me just read this bottom line and then we'll take communion. When we are tempted to give up because we can't get it done, we need to remember our champion has already fought and won. So we take communion and we're going to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed on our behalf. We're going to give you just a couple of minutes in Corinthians. It reminds us that we shouldn't do this flippantly. This is something that is for people who already know Christ. There's no grace or other value in taking these elements. Those of you here in the auditorium, we'll give you just a moment. If you haven't picked up a cup, you can find one in the foyer there. If you're at home, we just give you a moment to examine yourself, but also to get your elements ready, and I'll lead you through that in just a moment.